Welcome to it. Welcome to it. It is three o'clock on a Monday afternoon, so you guys know what time it is. It is time for Talk That Talk. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson, in studio with my guy, Matt Raftery. Matt, what's going on, man? Another another start of the week, another day in paradise, and we uh, you know we're keeping it moving. Man, we getting to it. We getting to it. We're gonna get to it the best way we know how. My mom kind of amped me today by sending me her tip in. Uh, it comes from Bill Parcells, but nevertheless, here's the tip in for today. The time to worry is before you place the bet, not after the wheel is spinning. Once it spins, you forget about it. I'm going to read that one more time. I should read it twice, but I'm going to read it one more time. Or two more times, rather. The time to worry is before you place the bet, not after the wheel is spinning. Once it spins, you forget about it. How many different things can I apply that to this week? Where do you want to start? <laughs> let's get the ball rolling. Let's just let, let's let's go ahead and spin the wheel right now. Let's start in Vegas. Let's do it. Let's start in Vegas. Let's start with the Golden Knights. Let's 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 talk a little a little Golden Knight action. And this is typically the part of the show where I shut up, guys. This is Matt's thing. This is where I this is where I I, I defer to the to the hockey expert in the room. And let's be honest, this uh, last game continues to kind of add to my mic. It's too hot continues to kind of add to uh, this feeling that we've had over the last week here in Vegas. And now I'm just going to flat out ask the question, how many times should the Las Vegas, or excuse me, how many times should the Vegas Golden Knights front office apologize to Evgenie Dodonov? They should still be apologizing. Like, that should not have stopped. That, like, as we speak, they should be, Yeah, I mean, whatever the guy wants. Uh, apology dinner, um, uh, yeah, I'm sure Bill Foley can spring him a nice bottle of wine. Um, anything the guy wants because um, maybe it's a, in a way, a weird tactic the front office used by trying to trade him. Maybe it lit it's a fight. I, I, I don't. I never said it was. I just said it was an interesting one. Uh, but it has seemed it has seemed to light a fire under Dadanoff's you know rear end for better or for lack of better term. And he's played pretty well since those rumors have come out. He's against Nashville, he had a goal and two assists. Here he has the game winner against Chicago in a game that many people had written off by the time the second period was over. Yeah, if you look at Twitter, it was a bit it was a bit aggressive. And the funny thing is, I, I like reporters who are comfortable. And I like anybody who's comfortable, right? Or even if you're a fan, but I like reporters who are comfortable and Again, some of the things that you've said before, it kind of puts everything into perspective in terms of this Vegas Golden Knights season. And I watched the the timeline kind of respond to the way that the game started. I know you were live tweeting the game, so maybe that maybe that takes your analysis out of it. But you get to have a little fun when you live tweet. You get to have more fun when you live tweet than you do when you do the game story. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering why I didn't see that from you. I expected to see a little bit of panic from you 
And I didn't. Why was that? Because the Golden Knights have shown that they've done this before. It was if the, if a panic would have been if this was a first time thing for the Golden Knights, but it wasn't. They've shown, I mean, pretty recent history that they can get shut out in a game, that they can lose three zero, four zero, you know, six one, whatever the case may be. They've had those games where they have just not looked themselves, and they haven't looked like the vintage Golden Knights. So, I mean, maybe to a degree, I was a little bit numb to it already because you've seen it before you kind of know almost know what to expect in a sense with this team or at least know what to keep an eye out for and uh you know I I think around it's funny around the press box area I would say it was about 80 20 um for this for the season not so much the game but for the season gotcha. um most were under the impression that I've kind of been on uh for most of the year and uh, where a lot of Golden Knights fans have been recently as far as this team might not make the playoffs. And there was a little, there was a small percentage that were like, well, you know, their schedule isn't as quite as bad as it might seem. You know, yes, they have a lot of road games, but they're fairly easier road games for the most part against teams they probably should beat. And, you know, they're not too far out of the playoff hunt. You know, they just need some games to bounce their way here and there, maybe a little bit of help from the rest of the division, and they'll be okay. And um, I, I saw the same kind of split on Twitter, where the majority was, especially going into the um, second intermission down 3-0, a, a lot of fans, I think, had written off this game. And, I mean, personally, I kind of thought the same thing. I wasn't – I. I Kind of thought like, yeah, this game, yeah, I don't think Vegas is going to win this game. Maybe they'll make it respectable. Maybe they lose like 3-2 or something like that or 3-1 or they get something out of the deal. But um, I wasn't expecting what they would eventually come out with in the third, which was, I mean, if there was ever a flip of the switch moment, I mean, between periods two and three against the Chicago Blackhawks for this Golden Knights team, I don't know what was said. We were all trying to figure it out after the game what was said. But whatever it was, it, it worked. And they should probably keep saying it the remainder of the season for this team. And I know this is not necessarily the moment to go back to Dadanoff, or I guess the entire segment is his moment, right? Again, I want to highlight something that, again, I'm not the the hockey aficionado that, that you are or most other uh, hockey writers are. However, I'm wondering how much – this is the second straight time I'm going to bring this up. I'm wondering how much, and I think this is the exact same time that he had on the ice after the last game, but he's clocking about 17 minutes on the ice. So at this point, he did the same thing in Nashville. At this point, how big of a stat is that? Like, I'm a basketball guy, and a lot of people talk about plus minus, and a lot of people hate plus minus, a lot of people don't like or uh, do like it. I'm one of the ones that are really, really in favor of plus minus because it tells you how active you are on the floor. Um, it can be misleading, but how misleading is this time on ice stack considering what the is doing? Um, I mean, I, I think you pay attention to it to a degree. You see that he is getting some ice time and I mean, 17 minutes is not all too bad, especially when you're probably going for a minute to minute and a half per shift. Um, you, you take that into context. Okay. It's, that's probably about anywhere from 13 to 17 shifts, depending on the length. Usually they like to keep those about a minute long, but obviously some some cases are longer than others. So, yeah, I mean, he's playing normal minutes. He's playing normal shifts, and uh, he's in the lineup. And, um, you know, I, I think when you look at 
uh, not just Dadanov, but as uh, this team as a whole, um, some fans might scoff at the fact that this team could very well be a wild card team. Right. I w- I don't think that's necessarily the worst case scenario for the Golden Knights. I think being a any sort of playoff team benefits this team immensely because it allows for a lot more flexibility with this roster. Um, hockey turns into baseball, I like to call it, when it comes to the playoffs because they don't really worry about a salary cap. You can bring back and activate as many guys as you need. You don't have to worry about hitting salary caps or not having the space for a certain guy once you get to the playoffs. So I think first and foremost, the Vegas Golden Knights have to look at themselves and say, get to the playoffs at all costs because that'll allow us to bring a guy back into the rotation such as Mark Stone. We can keep guys in the rotation like Alec Martinez, who just made his debut since November 11th in this game. Yeah, that was a that obviously reading the story that was, um, and, and seeing the live tweets as well. That was, I guess in sports you you nobody realized it more than the Knights, right? And even with fans and reporters and things of that nature, you re, you realize in moments when players make their return how long the absence has been. I'm not going to lie to you. I read that November 11th tweet about four times. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't think it was that long until a few others were, you know, saying and tweeting about it that it had been t- since November 11th. And, you know, it, it just makes, like you said, it kind of makes you pause for a second and realize just how long it has been since he's been in the lineup. And Do we know what the Knights record was on November 11th? I'm going to figure this out right now, actually. Probably a, lot, probably a lot better than where they were now, right? Anyway, oh, I, I think so. Um, <laughs> I think so. I, I hope, I think right? He, I think his agent knows it more than anybody. Yeah. Um, Let's see what their record was on November 11th. But, I mean, look, I, the third they period. They were 8-6, so not much better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, man. Um, looking at this team, though, and looking at that third period, it brought back kind of memories of year one Golden Knights and year two where we talk about how fast they score. I mean, they erased a 3-0 deficit in three minutes and 16 seconds. It was like they got the first goal, which was, all right, maybe there's something here. They got the second one. So I thought, okay, I mean, now they kind of, maybe they have like an empty net opportunity where they get the odd man and they it, the empty net works for them. They might get to overtime. And then they get the third goal seconds later. As I'm, it's funny. As I'm putting out tweets for one goal, <laughs> they scored again. So I'm like, all right, we'll put out another one. And so that's a trend for this week. And we're, we'll get to that in a second. When when I get to my segment in terms of what I covered this week. Um, and so all of a sudden you and I think I might even worded the tweet after the third goal. In a blink of an eye, the game is tied up because that's kind of what it felt like. Where you started the third period. You got a pretty quick goal within the first two minutes, and then you got goals two and three basically right after that. You know, fans basically didn't have a chance to even breathe after goals two and three, uh, and before they realized that this game is now tied at three, and it's a completely different hockey game. And I think if the Golden Knights, it, it's it's crazy to say now, but it might not be so crazy when it when you think about it li- a little bit later on down the road, mm-hmm. if this team makes the playoffs they might point to that third period and say that was our turning point of the season where we weren't trending in the right direction. You know, we had just come off of, yes, a, a win against Nashville, but before that, you, you dealt with the narrative and the storyline of losing eight straight on the road. And ironically enough, the majority of the night schedule is on the road the rest of the way. But 
like like I mentioned earlier, it's against teams that they can beat. Like they play back to back games against Seattle this week in Seattle. I think at worst they can probably walk away a one and one split. Um, probably I I don't think two and zero is unrealistic for this team. They play Vancouver three times in a four game stretch. They have I think Arizona sprinkled in there as that fourth game, but. We saw we've seen rather Arizona spoil a road trip as well by sending the Vegas Vegas Golden Knights home with a loss. The only redeeming factor is that Arizona game is at home, and they do play Vancouver one time at home as well. See, but the, here and here's where we get back to what we kind of talked about last week. You you literally gave uh, uh, the uh, what was it remainder of the season of uh, the remainder of the season rather. Uh, road games, and we looked at all the road games, and I gave you the ones that I thought they would win, and the ones that I thought that they would have a little trouble with. I don't know how many they get out of that Canuck, out of that Canucks triangle that they have to kind of deal with, but I did kind of shock you by telling you that I think that they would get Calgary because I think this is a team that continues to do this to us as as media members and 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 the Las Vegas Valley as a whole in terms of their fandom because this team, like you just said, one night it's like fam. We're, we can cut this off before the third period. And then you get a game, which I suspect, a game against Calgary where I think they're going to be world beaters. To you, I mean, to somewhat of your point, I, I do think some of their road games are notable coming up. I think the fact that they have to play Edmonton one more time before the season ends, they play Dallas one more time before the season ends, they play Good even luck. Calgary. Um, but all teams that you look at the standings, they're all around Vegas. So you look at that and you go, okay, you if you if you were going to find any separation in the standings or you were going to find a, a spot where you could maybe pass up a team and not really have to hope for any help on you know the other side as far as that opposing team losing to whoever it may be, no better way to get rid of that than playing a team head-to-head. And I think Vegas, if you're Vegas, you have to circle those types of games where you have now Dallas c- circled on the schedule where maybe you didn't before. You have Edmonton circled on the schedule before, you know, compared to you probably didn't have them scheduled before or circled before at least. And you've got even Calgary, but I don't know if Calgary is going to be as meaningful of a game because I look at where Calgary is and I look at where Vegas is. That deficit in the standings is pretty notable and it's pretty sizable. They might get to the point where that game doesn't really matter for Vegas. I mean, obviously it's going to matter, but as far as getting the division lead, anything like that, I don't think it's going to be all too meaningful unless Calgary just hits rock bottom and they just start losing games like crazy, then maybe it does become a little more notable. But the way Calgary's been pacing, I do think they are the winner of that division or going to be the winner of the Pacific division. Um, But I also don't think it's quite crazy to think of the Vegas Golden Knights as the two seed in the division. Well, let me give you guys an update on it right now because I'm I'm not going to lie. I'm a little floored by that. As of right now, the Knights are 36-28-4. They have 76 points. They are fourth in the Pacific Division. As you said, they're they're well behind Calgary. They're 12 points behind Calgary. They're five points behind L.A. They're one point behind Edmonton. We mentioned the Vancouver Canucks, I believe, three times already in this show. Let's mention them a fourth time. They're three points behind the Vegas Golden Knights. So, a lot of time for moving for moving and shaking in this in this particular division. This is a different tone that you were seeing in a, a couple of months ago. Why right now could this team possibly land as high as two for you? I think it has to do with who they're getting back. There, you look at, and I think I may have even teased it on the last show as far as saying, if Vegas got into the playoffs even as a wild card, they would be a severely undervalued wild card because of all their pieces they'd be getting back. 
They would have a guy, an Alec Martinez, fully back healthy with some game experience under his belt since the injury. Um, they, uh, from what I've been seeing, they expect Mark Stone to be ready to go sometime next week. So even get Mark Stone back, you probably get seven, eight, maybe nine games before the regular season ends with Mark Stone in the lineup. And it adds to the Knights' depth. And I think when you look at what makes the Vegas Golden Knights such a dangerous team, historically has been their depth, that they can go, they have a really good top line, they have a really good second line, a, a pretty good third line, even their fourth line can give some other teams, maybe second or third line, some fits. And so getting those pieces back and getting them some experience on the ice before you get to the playoffs, I think definitely helps this team moving forward. And I don't know if we don't see a return from a guy like um, Laurent Brossois, depending on where he's at in his um, long-term IR recovery process. Um, I don't know if they necessarily ruled out Robin Leonard for long-term, if, if, if he is done for the season or if there's a chance he can come back. But the fact that this team, one right now, is sitting in the play, in a playoff spot. They are currently that second wild-card spot, and they're only five points behind L.A., like, people might think, well, five points. If Vegas starts going on a little bit of a winning streak and L.A., let's say, is even trending around a 500 the rest of the way or a little bit below 500, all of a sudden we're talking about that deficit made up in a heartbeat because that's just, I mean, kind of how hockey works. I mean, realistically, Vegas could make up that five-point deficit in a matter of three games. If they go on a streak of, let's say, three or four in a row, L.A. may you know goes one and four or zero oh and four or whatever the case may be. My dad's not gonna want to hear that. I, I, I mean, people might think it's crazy at the time, but we also thought it was crazy for St. Louis to win the Stanley Cup as the last place team in the league, and lo and behold, they did it. Am I am I pronouncing the name right? We again, we're, I'm not the uh, too infatuated with every other team, but I've talked about the Kings and 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 the their roster. Uh, is it Brad Dowdy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brad Dowdy is done for the year as well. So uh, I did see that as I scrolled across the bottom of my television, and I said, uh, "All right." I said, "I hope." Obviously, we talked about a war of attrition, right? And that was one thing that I said. If the Knights kind of needed a moment, you don't, you never cheer for an injury, but if you needed a moment to say, maybe we can make up some ground, maybe this is the opportunity to do so. Especially when you just said that they're getting healthy. Uh, next game is going to take place on Wednesday. Matt, you're back to work on Wednesday. You are, I almost said you are taking on, but pretty much close to it. Uh, your Vegas Golden Knights are taking on the Seattle Kraken. They're 2-0 against Seattle this year. Uh, that game takes place at 7 p.m. Puck drop is at 7 p.m. Um, let's be honest, because we're going to get into another expansion team in one second. We talked about the Vegas Golden Knights. We're talking about the Seattle Kraken. You guys can guess which expansion, which expansion team we're about to talk about next. In your opinion, mm-hmm. what is an expansion team to you? Not by definition. Like, what do you expect from an expansion team? I don't know if you can expect much. Um, an expansion team, you know, as we've seen, is a team made up of guys from around the league that were not protected by their former pl- uh, clubs and teams. So I think when you look at terms of expansion teams, it's not that Vegas had an unfair advantage by any stretch because I think Vegas, you know, they, they played by the rules. They said, okay, these are the players that are available to us, and they made their selections according to how they saw their team fit. And likewise, so did Seattle. 
yes, it worked out very well for Vegas, and they were able to find some diamonds in the rough and some guys that um, may have looked at, been looked at as steals now, um, but maybe not so much back then. For sure. And you look at Seattle. I think Seattle didn't even have all that bad of a draft, but I think when you think of terms of C- of expansion team and you think about how good or bad they can be, I think the majority of people come to the conclusion and they think of something similar to what Seattle is this year where it's rough. You know, you're figuring out the kinks. You open up a brand new building um, similar to what the Knights were doing. They were opening up T-Mobile pretty much for the first time. And, you know, it came off of the heels of a very tragic event in the city. And so even more question marks as far as how this team would respond and how they would look in year one. And um, again, little did anybody know, I think this team – uh, would make the Stanley Cup final, and um, I don't know if that was really on anybody's ex- uh, expectations list going into the season. And, Not even a little bit. Um, you know, maybe it, it led to Seattle being judged a little bit unfairly because people just point to that miracle run that Vegas put together in year one, and they said, well, if they can do it, anybody can do it. And I think Vegas has to be looked at when we t- talk about it in terms of – expansion teams they have to be looked at as the exception to the rule because I think if you're a fan of an expansion team and it's year one you have to kind of go into that year with no expectations because going into a year with no expectations compared to going into a year with a certain set of expectations based off another team's performance I think it's just leading to for the most part a disappointing year in that fan's mind compared to you go into a year with no expectations and you go, you know what? Hey, this was year one. Uh, we know what we've got. We know what worked and what didn't work. Um, we, we even know like on the promotional side, when you talk about off the ice or off the field um, type of um, transactions, if you will, where you're looking at things such as marketing and ticketing and um, seeing what different promotions work with the fans, um, what, what fans enjoyed about the team and, and whatnot. Um, you, you, I think you use year one as a baseline. Um, it just so happened that the Vegas Golden Knights had a very high baseline set year one, um, and maybe a little bit unfairly even to themselves because of where this fan expectation went for year two, three, four, and so on with the now. Golden Knights. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm interested because you obviously you, you, you know where we're going next, but I'm interested because you said on the ice or you said off the ice or off the field. And that's exactly where we're going. And then you talked about fandom and you talked about just support and you talked about promos. And let's just let's just get to it then, guys. It's the only thing that makes sense. I finally, 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 finally made the trip to Henderson, Nevada. And I checked out the Dollar Loan Center Arena. So I finally checked out the DLC Arena. I got one takeaway for you. You ready? Mm-hmm. It gets loud in there, yo. It gets really loud in there. Um, not really sure what to take away from just that. Uh, wide receiver Katie Cannon was actually asked about the the energy in the building after the game, and he he mentioned that the support is is unbelievable. And one of the actually one of the reporters um asked the question of the rules, and we'll get to that in a second. But he, he talked about the, the team, or the fans, rather, not necessarily understanding the rules because it's a, it's new. It's new to the city. So a lot of people are learning on the fly. And uh, Katie Cannon was basically saying this is how loud they are, and they're kind of 
learning what's going on. You can only imagine what it's going to turn into once they get a good feel for it. He, he said he expects about four or five games before everybody kind of knows what's going on on the field. And in addition to that, he said he expects about four or five games before this entire offense is clicking. And kind of awkward to say that after the team puts up 39 points, but it was following the team's first loss. They did allow 48 to the Tucson Sugar Skulls. Ended up falling short by nine points. There, there's plenty of different places that I can start with this particular story. Let, let's start with me getting to the to the event. Uh, I'm sitting down in the press box and going to be completely honest with you, Matt. I, I like the honesty, first of all, of everybody in the company, but I like the honesty in you admitting that you kind of had a little bit of difficulty trying to get all of these tweets out one after a goal or one after another in terms of the goals. Not going to lie to you. I sat there for a good four minutes or so trying to figure out how I was going to live tweet this pat this fast pace of a football game. Not really sure how I'm going to do this. Because typically in regular football, I let everybody know when it's typically kind of every third down or so. So any big play, scoring plays, injuries, third downs, timeouts, things like that, right? We all, we all know what kind of goes into live tweeting. This is different. <laughs> this is entirely different. The game is super fast paced. And it was a a, a, a a huge switch of things, rather, from week two. And it was the first game for the Vegas uh, Nighthawks. I almost said go to Knights. For the Vegas Nighthawks, when they took care of Northern Arizona 22-9 to, to kind of open their season. But this game was the exact opposite. And I believe somebody actually got the question off to uh, head coach Mike Davis before I could. But they kind of talked about the difference between last week and this week. And he, he, so many times he went to, we're learning. We're learning. We're learning. And I even pointed out the three turnovers from uh, the first game. And, no turnovers in this previous contest this past Sunday, yesterday rather. And first thing that came out of his mouth, we were learning. He said, uh, we're, we're not doing everything perfect. He said, but we're making strides. And when he said that, I'll tell you what I took from it. Um, and I could be wrong. I took that the three turnovers last week surprised me. That's what I heard. Because... When I get to kind of play that back and hear it, there was more emphasis on the fact that we're learning or whatever the case may be. But it was just a little, I don't want to say misleading, it was a little puzzling that it almost wasn't, and I'm going to get to the reason why I said that because we're going to get to the quarterback, Jalen Henderson, in one second. Um, I found it a little puzzling that it wasn't a little more challenging for the defense. I mean, you guys put up nine or gave up nine points last week. And again, we'll see where Northern Arizona falls in the standings. We'll see where Tucson falls in the standings when it's all said and done. This was Tucson's first game of the year. But your defense showed you something last week. So this particular week, I don't know. It just seemed a little... I'm not saying that they aren't learning, that they're not a young team. He, like he said, there's only four or five guys that have played indoor football before, one of which being Gabe McCoy, former UNLV product, who who did log a sack in the game. Uh, it, it, still, it still gave me cause to pause, mainly because of what I saw that team do last week. So that's why I said 
I wonder if I had the conversation with Mike Davis right now, if I kind of let him know why my two decisions or why I'm kind of lingering between two decisions. That's why, because either he feels that his team can't, or not can't, but his team was cooking with something different last week. We know what happens in season openers. We know about this particular situation. It was a franchise opener, right? It was a franchise debut. So maybe there was, maybe they were just a little, maybe they were just a, a extra, little extra juiced up. But I did do a little research, and I wanted to know what was the lowest amount of points ever uh, given up by a team during a full IFL season. That's something that I'm going to have to check with Kelly to be sure about. But based on that answer, I didn't think about it anymore. I said maybe this is just not what this team is going to do. More, more is going to more is going to be revealed, rather. But I'll tell you one thing. My brother texted me this morning about it as well. Jalen Henderson is a dog. And, again, Boise State Bronco product, but he gets his full – and I asked the question to uh, Mike Davis after the game, head coach Mike Davis. He finally gets a full, complete effort, a, a full complete game. So now I'm going to use baseball terms. Yes, guys. But he finally gets a full complete game effort after he entered week, uh, week two, first game of the season in the second quarter. He ended up scoring the team's first – the franchise's first rushing touchdown. He threw the franchise's first passing touchdown. And then he comes into this week and plays the entire 60 minutes and puts up six touchdowns. Six touchdowns by 10 yards under 200 yards for the game. Three of those touchdowns went to KD Cannon after the game. KD Cannon was talked about was was asked about the connection. He said the connection is great. He said the connection so far is is everything that he that he wanted it to be. He still said it could get better. Three touchdowns between the quarterback and a wide receiver, and the wide receiver is saying we can still get better. Again, his his launch point for the season so far has been four or five games. And if you talk to uh, head coach Mike Davis and prior to the season starting, uh, he, re- he re- reemphasized it rather yesterday. But he said he told everybody at the beginning of the year, or before the year rather, if this team was 2-2 two and two after the first four weeks, that would be a win for him. As he said before, that's still attainable. That can happen. So, with that said, this team is only sitting at one and one in the standings. They're they're in a three-way tie in the Western Conference. One of those teams they're actually tied with is the team that they're playing next, the Bay Area Panthers. So, they're headed to San Jose, first road trip. I asked KD Cannon. And first of all, let's get this out of the way. I finally asked one of those questions again. I haven't asked it in little bit and, and a little bit maybe since Lindy one of the Lindy LaRock questions but I finally asked the question and I kind of knew what the answer was going to be especially coming off of this loss and I probably should have asked it to uh, Mike Davis instead but I asked Katie Cannon first road trip for this for, the, for this group and this is the first road trip for this franchise again now I don't want to make too much of it but we've talked about this before we just came back from Arizona a week ago where we talked about Lindy LaRock and her in that group and the fact that we haven't talked to her probably too much about it but everywhere they go they create memories they make it a point to create memories I'm wondering how this team is going to do this you're headed to San Jose it's the first road trip how are you guys obviously going to uh or what are you looking forward to most obviously about this road trip with the guys being the first one, <laughs> KD Cannon said what every ball player is supposed to say. It's a business trip. 
Fam, as long as we get the W, that'll bring us closer together. <laughs> like, as long as we win, everything else will take care of itself. So I didn't ask Mike Davis the question because I kind of felt like he would give me the same answer, only mainly because it's coming off of a loss as well. But uh, good spirits, high spirits for the team following that particular loss. I'll, now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pull up this story really quick. And if you guys haven't checked out the story, the story is on TalkThatTalkRadio.com. But I want to make sure that I'm not quoting these numbers wrong. So I'm going to read this quote. Because you know, or what is wrong with me? There's a lot of UNLV football players on this team, to be fair. I'm telling you, it's that or it's PTSD. It's something. I don't know what it is, man. Vegas football. I was going to say Vegas football, but you have the Raiders in there. So, I mean, I don't know. It's PTSD. I'm telling you, it has to be. All right. But prior to the uh, last minute, I don't want to say last second, but a last minute touchdown by Tucson, it was a two-point game. It was a two-point game. How would you feel if I told you that the Vegas Golden Knights had missed two-point after attempts? Um, I'd be shocked because the fact is they've missed one-point attempts. So I, th- I would think one or the other has to be working. What if I told you – how did you say that? What if I told you neither were working? Uh, Kicker Nathan Criswell – Missed two PATs. He missed two point after attempts, but he also missed both of his field goal attempts. So, just to give you perspective, it was eight total points that the Nighthawks missed out on, and they lost this game by nine. I don't know if I would necessarily be pushing down on the panic button, but I, I might be looking around the room just to see where it's located, just for future reference. What if I told you that head coach Mike Davis said, we're going to need to be a lot better? To miss seven points? What is it? A field goal and four extra points? That's just not acceptable. Well, plus you had, go back to even week one, they had kicking problems in the first game. I think they were, what, two of five on extra point attempts? So that's three points they left off the board? I can give you all of it right here. I don't I don't know exactly what they were in week one. Uh, it was two for four in one of the categories. Maybe it was a field goal. But through two games this season, Criswell was three for six on his point after attempts, and three for eight on his field goals. He has left 18 points on the field. They lost the game by nine on uh, on Sunday. So you figure you make, what did you say, three for eight? So let's say you let's say you only leave, leave nine. The game is tied, and maybe we're talking about. Oh, well, that's through the, that's through the first two games. Well, I'm not, I'm not gonna necessarily include that first game only oh. because they won twenty two to nine. So sure, they probably could have won by a lot more. But you look at it. I mean, you take if you let's say hypothetically you convert on all eighteen points, there's a good chance that you are two and zero instead of one on one. And I don't like putting the blame down on one particular player when right. it comes to a team sport because I do think that. There's certain events and there's different plays that play into that. And there probably was. I didn't get a chance to watch the game on Sunday, but I'm I'm sure there was probably series of plays where, um, you know, that kind of led also into the team not being able to win against Tucson. But, you know, it, it is kind of alarming in a sense when you look at those numbers from one player and you think about it in that sense, well, like, yeah, of course, if he makes, you know, these – plays and converts these kicks then sure we're talking about a closer game and maybe a different outcome but 
Um, if nothing else, I do think it's something to be slightly concerned with moving forward. Again, this is only game two, so uh, I'm going to give this team a lot of leeway when it comes to um, you know pushing any sort of panic button or being con- overly concerned because, um, as Mike Davis said, as you quoted, this team is still learning, and maybe they're trying to learn where they're good at in the kicking game or where, you know if they're good here or maybe they need to you know ramp up uh, more two-point conversion plays or maybe maybe they even look for um, finding different kickers within the IFL if they want to go in the direction of a new kicker. So um, a lot of things to figure out there. I didn't, I didn't want to do that in this moment. Uh, I'm just, I'm I'm just laying out the options. I'm not saying the guy's bad. I'm just laying out all the options that they have if they want to go for it. It's going to be really bad. Worse because I'm gonna add to your point. Like I said, we're I'm not. I don't think either one of us are doing it. We're oh. not calling for Nathan no. Criswell's job. No, no, no. However, when I hear that quote, my next question to you was: Is there another kicker at practice this week? I think there might be bringing in some for workouts. I mean, I'm gonna put it this way: and <laughs> I don't. I don't think this is where this kicker belongs per se. But maybe Daniel Gutierrez looked at his draft stock and was like, mm. "Trust me, I thought about it." I mean, we've seen Daniel Gutierrez at UNLV be money from just about anywhere. Which is why, if I'm Daniel Gutierrez, I'm not answering my phone. Even, like, I guess out of respect, you answer the phone and you take the conversation. But no, I'm going to kick in the league. <laughs> I'm going to the league. So if I'm Daniel, if I'm Gut, I'm 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 resting my leg. I'm putting my putting the heating pack on, on my leg and I'm chilling. But that those eight points in this particular game did loom large in, in terms of what didn't go well for this team. I, I think especially when you look at the the IFL game, it, it is fast paced. And, and it just seemed like because of what happened last week, not to give anybody any excuses, it just looked as if the team, the, the defense rather, at moments just you know what I mean. Once once the once the snow once the avalanche kind of starts, it's really hard to get behind that ball and stop it. So it, it seemed as if that's exactly what happened. It, uh, I would love to say that they kind of ran out of gas, but I don't feel like that's a perfect term to kind of or phrase rather to kind of encompass to kind of encompass this. But nevertheless, they're headed to the Bay Area. That game is on Sunday, April fourth. Let's talk some other football really quick while we have a little bit of time. We're about 40 minutes into the show. And, again, if you guys want to follow us on anything, first of all, you guys are listening to Talk That Talk Radio. Two hours. Me and Matt will be with you guys for two hours until 5 p.m. If you guys want to follow us on anything, you guys can follow us on Twitter at Talk That Talk LV. Once again, you guys can follow us on Twitter at Talk That Talk LV. If you guys want to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, what else, Facebook, you guys can follow us at Talk That Talk Radio Show once again. Everything else you guys can find us at Talk That Talk Radio Show. Gang, I kind of left this one open-ended because it depends on how how deep you want to go into this particular topic, but it's the Raiders. We're coming off a football talk. We're talking to Raiders, and all I have right now, I'm going to be honest with you guys, here in the studio, I have Raiders.com up. And the reason why I don't have a particular story up is because, Matt, I want you to pick the story. What are we talking about today? When it comes to the Raiders? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't ask you this. Um, <sighs> To be honest with you, the Raiders have made so many moves. I, again, I don't want to be the guy that feels like I'm just... 
I don't want to be a pessimist. I've never really been called a pessimist, so I don't want you guys to ever think that. But I have been called a realist a couple of times. I if mean, you let me pick, I'm going to pick Josh McDaniels. Okay. I'm fine with that. Why'd you do this? All right. Why don't I trust Josh McDaniels? Maybe this is a question for me, but I don't I don't know if I have the answer or I don't know if I feel safe giving the answer. Is it because of what he did in Denver? Hell yeah. And the and the taking of the job and the non taking of the job in Indy. So none of the Patriot days matter to you. Never would say that. I would never say that it doesn't matter. Because if it matters, it, in theory it should offset the Absolutely Denver days. not. Absolutely not. You want me to tell you one reason why it doesn't offset it for me? Why is that? Because there's a guy named Bill Belichick standing to him in one phase of that. And in every other phase where I have questions about, Bill Belichick isn't there. Is Bill Belichick coming to Vegas? That'd be great if he was. Uh, okay, so, I, so, <laughs> so that makes me think that he's not. So since he's not, there's where my apprehension lies. I don't it. know if we've ever seen Josh McDaniels just himself. Have we ever seen Josh McDaniels without – we have seen without Bill Belichick, but have we seen Josh McDaniels without Bill Belichick with this type of roster? No, which is why it would be disappointing as hell is if, if he goes 6-11, and 11, right? Wouldn't it be more realistic if to go 11-6 and six and win the division? True, which is why my apprehension comes in because if it flips – we got a bigger conversation to have. It's premature to have this conversation in March, right? However, he goes out, and I think this was actually a couple of days ago. He said, we're going to create our own culture. <sighs> I'm not nitpicking. I swear I'm not nitpicking. I don't think I'm nitpicking. Matt, tell me if I'm nitpicking. Take a shot in the dark. What do you think that new culture is? Do you want that answer? <laughs> I just answer the question, man. <laughs> oh my gosh, answer the question. <laughs> um, please. Well, um, for the obvious, I, I could say that it's going to be keeping everybody uh, legally on the roster um, for the remainder or for the entirety of the season. Um, maybe they avoid the Clark County Detention Center for the season? I mean, they, they couldn't do that last year. Um, I, they probably spent their so, the, their fair share of time at the Regional Justice Center in downtown. But um, all jokes aside, I, I don't know if I disagree <laughs> with that quote. I, I do think as cliche as it might sound, as obvious as it might look, I do think this Raider team to a degree does need a little bit of a new culture because when people think of the Raiders – Especially now, they're going aside from you know all the acquisitions over the off season. the The average fan, whether it's of the Raiders or just of football, and they they paid attention a little bit to the season last year. You bring up the term Raiders, and they and it's not a good connotation that fans associate the Raiders with. They they immediately point to Henry Ruggs. They immediately point to Damon Arnett and John Gruden. So with and playoff all, absences. So with all of this, um. All of this negative, um, all of these negative storylines that surrounded the team last year, I think the Raiders had no choice but to kind of hit a reset here and 
establish a new identity and put together a roster that not just people in Las Vegas can be proud of, but people that are just fans of the Raiders can be proud of. Because there was a point in time, even last season, Keep going. that you you know would, if you were asked you know are you a Raider fan, you kind of got looked at a little bit different. And I think now Josh McDaniels and his staff want to keep that that looked at different approach the same, but looked at different in a good way as far as like, oh, you're a fan of that team. Now, I don't I don't disagree with you. And again, I feel like I'm nitpicking everything. However, probably are, but that's okay. I probably am. Um, again, I think this is just apprehension, like because I, I think. Like you said, the Raiders have everything to succeed. I, I think they do have everything to succeed. My only question mark has been uh, Josh McDaniels. But the reason why I said this may be nitpick, nitpicking is because I think he has to do it his own way. Now, here's where I'm open to being wrong. I don't know who would reach out to me. Dad, maybe you could reach out to me. Um, Jarrell, I mean, Cousin Tim, maybe you could reach out to me. Somebody reach out to me. But... In all of my my dumpster diving through NFL films and and historical references, it doesn't work for everybody. But the culture itself for the Raiders, losing is never good, right? I don't know how many people in the world, and I could be wrong, because there are bad stretches. I don't know how many a pe- how many people in the world. The first thing they associate the Raiders with is losing. I don't think that's true. I think their fanatical fan base is the first thing that comes to mind. And I think that they're there whether they're winning or losing. So because of that, it's I've always, and this goes back to my dumpster diving in NFL films, I've in the times that the Raiders have always been good, in my opinion, from my vantage point, it appears as if they 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 adopted that black hole John Madden Raider way or no way just win baby outdate they they encompass that. There's not a new culture to set. Maybe there's a new style to kind of sprinkle on, but the Raider way I feel like is the Raider way. I could be wrong. Maybe Josh McDaniels can say that the Raider way hasn't produced a championship in how long? Maybe. But I believe because of that, Mark Davis gets guys that fit that. So you should probably teach and implement that. Whatever. I mean, don't I, don't get the answers for the test and try to overthink it. To Josh McDaniel's credit, the Raider way the Raider way has also led to this team disappearing in the second half of seasons. Rich Versace didn't have him do it. I swear, let's move on. I'm gonna get in trouble. John, the John Gruden way did though. <laughs> Very true. Um, no, I mean I'm look. I'm excited for this team. Uh, we'll see a finalized schedule eventually coming out uh, relatively soon. I imagine they usually try and get that out pretty early uh, with TV deals and all that. But I think I said it on the show on Thursday. It's not crazy and it's not unrealistic to see this team winning the division, given what's on their roster, given how wide open their division is. I mean, yes, you have. Russell Wilson with Denver, but I would argue there's better weapons to throw to in Vegas. Um, you look at Kansas City probably has a better quarterback in Patrick Mahomes and compared compared to Derek Carr, 
but there's better weapons to throw to in Vegas. Um, there's a better tight end in Vegas for sure. And I think there's a better number one receiver for sure. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't know, man. Jerry and, Judy and Cortland Sutton, or and, Court, yeah, Cortland Sutton. And then you look at the Chargers. Shout out to Hunter Renfro, but I just I don't know if he's better than those two guys. He's probably better than advertised. Oh, he, uh, I would I would argue he's better than Jerry Judy, but Cortland Sutton is a dog, man. He he may turn into Tyler Lockett two point this season. The amount of times though that Hunter Renfro had to come in and literally save the day for this franchise. Um, oh, he's a, he, he's we'll probably look back at Hunter Renfro by the end of his career and say he's probably one of the most timely football players ever. Can I rem- think he's one of the most dependable ever too. You'll you'll like this reference. He kind of reminded me a little bit of a Jordy Nelson. Julian Edelman was another name I was going to give you, so I'm completely on board with it. Wes Welker's another one I can give you. And why did we just name four white wide receivers? <laughs> they're all they're yes, they are white. But more importantly, I do think they're they're all guys that nobody really talked about until they started getting the ball. Give me a black one right now. <laughs> let's move on. I can't think of one either. Let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> all right, let's move on. <laughs> please somebody, please somebody help. We're, we're going to get in trouble us. with the segment. I, I, I tried, guys. All right, let's move on to baseball. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the Aviators. The Aviators are getting ready to to, to start yeah, their action, man. man. Tuesday, April fifth. I'm I'm ready to hop to it. The Reno Aces will be in town. Seven oh five. Almost at plug drop. Seven oh five. First pitch. Season opener. I'll be there. Matt will be there. Um, what are you expecting for this this Aviator season? I guess that's kind of a, a cheat question because it's minor league baseball. It's it's kind of hard to tell what what's to expect. But I can tell you one thing. I will expect rather. I expect, and this is why I told my brother, the Dollar Loan Center Arena was loud. I know that the Aviators get a lot of fan support. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're consistently pulling eight, eighty-five, nine thousand 9,000 fans a game. Like, Indeed. And that's not for any particular one game or the other. That's just... If On a you, humbug. <laughs> if, if you just pointed to any home game of the regular season, you can find usually attendance within that range... What I think is probably the most shocking, I guess shocking, but also decent things about it is they're only they're going to be the second game of the season at Las Vegas Ballpark. You did. Las Vegas Ballpark, for those that don't know, is really being opened up the season by a team that's not even playing their full time. Yep. That being the the UNLV baseball team, they come in tomorrow night and open up the uh, season, if you will, for the Las Vegas Ballpark and. Uh, a one-off against the Arizona Sun Devils. Um, yeah, man. Don't tell, me, don't, don't tell me it was a good time. I, I might slide over to that game. That's not a bad idea. That's not a bad UNLV, idea. UNLV, Arizona State? I thought about it. I, I thought about going to go talk to Stan, see what the energy is like. I, I did catch one game of the of UNLV baseball. I haven't checked the schedule before this uh, or the standings before uh, the, the today's show, but I do know that they were the last team, and they still could be, uh, without their first loss in the Mountain West, but I do know that they were the last team uh, with a zero in the loss column in the in terms of conference. Now, Las Vegas Ballpark, I swear we're going to get out of here with this after this particular one. We'll get into hour number two. Hour number two, we're going to talk some, some national news in terms of baseball. We'll see how long that lasts, and then we'll talk uh, NCAA tournament men and women's, and then we'll get to my dad's tip-in, which has nothing to do with sports. You guys take a wild guess about what it's about. Um, <laughs> it's a great way, by the way, to end this show. Yeah, it's, he he did it. I know. I, I read the I read it twice. I read the first paragraph twice and said, "Oh, he's serious about this." I thought it was gonna switch somewhere halfway through it, and it didn't. Um, but 
I feel like I'm only here to start drama when it comes to arenas. Have you been to the Dollar Loan Center yet? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Cool. So you'll be there some t- some point this season for the Vegas Nighthawks. For sure. Once you do that, I need you to. I'm from California, and let me just go ahead and preface that by saying this: I'm from LA. Um, there are beautiful places to watch plenty of sporting events in California. I'm beginning to see why people are beginning to call Las Vegas the sports capital of the world, the sports entertainment capital of the world. I said what I said before about the T-Mobile Arena. Anything done in the T-Mobile Arena that I don't know what who built it, I don't know what energy they put into it, I don't know what methods they, I've never seen a blueprint, I can't tell you anything. Watching an event in the T-Mobile Arena is different. It feels like a nutshell. It just it, it you feel like you're on top of the event. It's insane. The Thomas and Mac is majestic. Allegiant. Death Star. Leave it at that. The Dollar Loan Center Arena. We're not even talking about the Orleans. We're not even talking about the Men Hall Center, but we're not the Cox Pavilion. There are so many different entities on this, or in this valley, rather, that so many historical sporting events take place at. Where does Las Vegas Ballpark rank in there? As far as just venues to go watch sporting events? Yes. Within Las Vegas or just nationwide? Vegas. Vegas, okay. Because nationwide, in terms of minor league ballparks... This ballpark has been voted the best for the last two seasons. So. De- deservingly so. 100%. Granted, I haven't been everywhere. I heard El Paso was crazy. Yeah, I like Vegas better. Anyway. That's beside the point. <laughs> um, when we ter- look in terms of Vegas, it's easily top five. I, I do think. So, and I was thinking about this earlier. When people say top five, that means it's four or five. So it's not three for you, right? I would, e- top three for me. I, I would even debate top three. Yeah. Okay. I would even, okay. yeah, depending on, because I'd probably go in no order, but Allegiant, T-Mobile, Las Vegas Ballpark. It's interesting. Mine's is T-Mobile. You're going to be mad. I think the ballpark might be second. And I've always said this, sunsets from the ballpark should be illegal. Yeah, that's a good point. They're they're unbelievable. Like, it, it truthfully makes no sense. I couldn't even I couldn't even give you uh, a, a, a a perfect way to describe it, a perfect description of it. You kind of just have to be there. The only reason that would probably make me say Allegiant Stadium first is because we are in the valley and the ballpark is outside. Yeah, it's probably why I'll go with Allegiant second. But my heart of hearts wants to give you the Las Vegas ballpark second. But I know you'll be there a couple of times this year, probably more than a couple of times. So, Jim Jimma, what's the deal? Let's talk some national news while we head into the second hour. Again, you guys are listening to Talk That Talk. You dig? I'm your guy, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. And to the left, that's your guy, Matthew Raftery. We're about to talk some, some, some national news. And because I mentioned baseball, it's only right that we start in the National League. I don't even think we're touching the American League today, but... I remember waking up in the 10th grade. Is that right? No. 
maybe 11th or 12th grade. It was one of those. I don't think it was 10th for sure. And I remember waking up, and I'm probably going to tell on myself because I didn't pass chemistry the first time. So I was taking chemistry as an upperclassman. And I walked into class, and just the energy was different. And I was like, something's not right. So I pull out my phone. I go to ESPN. I find out in that moment that the Angels, like a thief in the night, stole Albert Pujols away from everybody else in Major League Baseball, specifically the St. Louis Cardinals. I don't want to talk about how that story ended, but I remember that day, and I was just like, fam, even though he'll be a, a shell of himself by the end of the, uh, the contract, who cares? Like, we'll have him. He'll go back to St. Louis for a year. He'll retire. We have 10 years of a Hall of Famer. Who cares? I didn't expect the Dodger pit stop in between there, but what I said 10 years ago has come to fruition. Albert Pujols has signed a one-year, $2.5 million deal to go back to the St. Louis Cardinals. We pretty much all but assume that this is his final season in Major League Baseball. If that is the case at 42 years old, where do you hold the machine in terms of all time? Let me not do this because we're going to have to do some digging. In terms of our generation, all-time first baseman. It's easily top three. Who's and the other two names that you have? I think one came to everybody's mind. Trying to, I say top three just because I don't want to overlook somebody that like I don't want to be like David Ortiz is the only name that I'm not. I'm probably not going to name a first baseman over David Ortiz of our generation, and the only one that's close is Miguel Cabrera for me. But Miggy also moved around the infield. He played third base before. I just look at David Ortiz, though, as more as the DH. I don't think Can't of David Ortiz me. as a first baseman. Um, Can't say I, I mean, yeah. For me, I'd have to probably go back and look through all the first basemen of this generation to make sure I'm not overlooking or forgetting anybody. But Which we are. We, we are. We probably just, are. Just from sitting here, I thought about Todd Heldon from Colorado. I thought about Jim Tomey from Chicago. I could do this all day. But I would say safely top three. Albert is going to retire as probably one of the most beloved stars of this generation. And is this even this generation anymore? Albert is out of his generation now. <laughs> of last generation. Um, but again, I think what's so interesting about Albert, I'm not trying to age him here, but my dad has kind of heartbreaking stories about Albert being a Dodger fan and just me growing up and, and being an Angel fan. And, and I have a decade worth of stories almost about Albert Pujols. And it's just interesting that Albert Pujols' career has spanned that amount of time to the point to where me and my father kind of have wide-ranging views on what Albert Pujols is. And then my dad gets another view by seeing Albert Pujols in a Dodger jersey. So I couldn't be more happy for Albert Pujols. I couldn't be more happy for the city of St. Louis. I, I, I just think that a playoff run is pretty much guaranteed with this. It's just I, I think I think the energy in the building is going to be something exciting. Um and I hope it continues because I think baseball is getting close. And and I know the lockout just happened, but I do think baseball is getting close to having us care again. And I say us being this young generation, I think they're getting close to having us care again. Does Albert get into the Hall of Fame? First ballot. Why, why are you looking at me like I'm crazy? He should. Think about all the people they've left out of the Hall of Fame. I agree. <laughs> That's why I have to raise the question. Does, does Al, 
do you realistically think Albert? We'll be talking about Albert Pujols in the Hall of Fame, and I, I'm, I ask that from more of a "Do you think he gets voted in?" type of question, more so than "Do you personally think he should be in the Hall of Fame?" Now, I'm trying my best to. I know we're not on FCC Airways, but I'm trying my best to kind of just steer away from too much cursing. But I remember reading a quote on here. It was a tweet, rather, where somebody said that they pretty much feel like they have the Baseball Hall of Fame figured out. They're almost sure. They named three names of people who have been linked to PEDs or steroids in one form or fashion. And they mentioned that those were great guys and that they got in. And then they mentioned three other names linked to PEDs and steroids. And they said the overwhelming perception of these guys is that they're not the best to be around. They actually compared them to a to a, a part of a human body. And he said, those three aren't in. They said, Baseball Hall of Fame, I get it now. I understand it. Even if that is the case in terms of Albert Pujols uh, and his PED use or steroid use or whatever the questions may be in regards to that. I think because Albert is overwhelmingly loved by most, I think Albert will get in without hesitation. I do think he, he deserves to get in. I, I just more so pose the question because, I mean, even in 2022, we're sitting here having the conversation that Barry Bonds did not get into the Hall of Fame. That Barry Bonds is the reason why I watch baseball. I had a favorite player growing up, Raul Mondesi, and that's mainly because my dad in Dodger games, I kind of had to. Mike Piazza was always the easiest p- position for me as a heavier set guy growing up. But Barry Bonds is the reason why I'm into the sport. And I don't think I'm the only one. I, I do have a random <laughs> point for you guys. The year that Bryce Harper went to Philly, Everybody said their expectations went through the roof, whatever the case may be. My expectations were actually pretty high as well. No disrespect to Bryce Harper, but I didn't think it was because of Bryce Harper. I mentioned Andrew McCutcheon. And I said, Andrew, I said, Cutches is somebody who in Pittsburgh put up. I almost said Hall of Fame caliber numbers, but let's not say that about baseball. Put up (laughs) unbelievable numbers. For somebody in Pittsburgh, for a center fielder who literally could do it all, that was his first year in Philly. And I said, you know what? This is going to be the moment where people recognize Kutch's name. If I recall correctly, Touch or Kutch tore his Achilles. Either it was his, either it was his Achilles or ACL. I apologize, Kutch, one of the two. But he suffered a season in a season-ending injury. The moment he went down, I said, Philly's not going to be the same. The Phillies didn't sniff the postseason that first year. I came across something, and and Kutch tweeted it recently. And I looked at my phone, and I said, am I going crazy? Andrew McCutcheon plays for the Milwaukee Brewers now. I'm going to say this one more time. I think we're going to hear Andrew McCutcheon's name during uh, postseason baseball in October. And I think we're probably going to be saying it about some pretty critical moments, whether it's an unbelievable catch in the outfield, whether it's a crucial stolen base, whether it's a crucial and timely hit. 
Kutch is going to find himself a ring before it's all said and done. Other national news. Let's get to these NCAA tournaments, man. Let's get to these. Let's get to these really quick. I actually want to start with the men's bracket for one second only because I wanted to get specific numbers to you guys. And last game, or last week, I talked about the Elite Eight, and I said that this year we had the potential to have five black head coaches in the Elite Eight. I just want to go ahead and give an update to anybody who did care going into it. They had three. Three out of eight. So I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, shout out to Hubert Davis for giving a moving. And I know I've, I've, I've criticized Hubert Davis about plenty of things here, but for giving a moving um, post-game interview following their, their clinching into the Final Four. And, again, I think this is one of the better Final Fours we've seen in quite some time. But let's talk a little bit about it. I want to start with, with – let's start there. Let's start with North Carolina and St. Peter's. I don't want to ask this question because I feel like ESPN just said it, but ESPN said that St. Peter's is the is the biggest. I don't know if they said biggest. Maybe they said. I doubt they said best, but they said like it's the biggest Cinderella story. Obviously, moving forward, considering that they're the only fifteen to get to a, a elite eight. Do you agree? Yeah, I think so. Okay. What is a Cinderella? Maybe I maybe I don't know. I think it goes to a team that nobody sees coming. So in a sense, maybe a sleeper. Can a Cinderella come from a Power Five conference? No. Regardless of where they finish. No. Because I think okay. Power Five conferences already get enough media attention as it is. Okay. I think a Cinderella, to be a true Cinderella, at least in my opinion, has to be a team that nobody really sees coming. Okay. I like that. I'm going to give you one other answer. But um, let me see if I actually type this in really quick while I'm sitting here. But I was going to bring up South Carolina. Cinderella Stormwell's year. That Final Four was Oregon, Gonzaga, North Carolina, and South Carolina. And if we're talking about basketball, a lot of people looked at that Final Four and said, is there a stain on my computer? Like, what? South Carolina's here? Sorry, Asia. But a lot of people didn't expect that on the men's side. It's like, man, what are we looking at here? And I would. I, that's why I asked you about the Power Five schools. Granted, they came from the SEC, so I'm like, maybe I can't use that. But I think that was a 10 seed that made it all the way. Granted, Syracuse made it as an 11 seed to the Final Four as well. We didn't count them as a Cinderella. So I get it. However, I'm going to bring up, and I brought it up before, so now I'm just going to highlight it in this um, particular segment. I don't want to call it a full segment, but I brought up George Mason. Now, if I recall correctly, and this is George Mason of 2006. This is the George Mason team that I was mentioning before. And this was last week that I mentioned them, right? I think I mentioned them last week. So I talked about Cinderella runs, and I brought up uh, George Mason. And 10 years ago, 10 years ago, this team – made it to the final four 
I don't think a lot of people understand that. This number at the time, number 11 seeded George Mason went to the Final Four. They beat a one seed Connecticut at that time. The interesting thing was that was Connecticut the year after they sent Emeka Okafor to the league. So was that Ben Gordon's year? I think so, yeah. Because Ben Gordon was the – never. let me not. Anyway, that may be Ben Gordon's year. But George Mason came to mind. And I don't want to be this guy. St. Peter's an amazing run. Don't you got to make it to the Final Four to be a Cinderella? Yeah. Am I that guy? Am I that guy today? Yeah. I'm that guy today. Yeah. All right, let's move on. My bad. Anything you want to talk about in terms of uh, this particular? We can go game by game if you want to. Obviously, we know Duke took care of uh, Arkansas. We know Villanova took care of Houston. And Kansas took care of Miami. Miami basketball Twitter was they, – they, they let us hear about that. They had zero thought that they were going to lose that game. I was a little shocked by basketball on Twitter in Miami, but all right. Shout out to them. This might be one of the most boring and uneventful Elite Eights I've seen in a while. Mm. I mean, you have a relative snooze fest in Houston and Villanova where the final score is 50 to 44. Word. You get a Miami-Kansas game, which, I mean, granted, for the first half, probably entertaining. And then if you're a Miami fan, you didn't watch the second half, I hope not, because uh, Kansas did what typical Kansas things and Bill Self and all that and absolutely went on a tear in the second half. And really that game felt over probably with about 15 minutes left in the game. Yes, uh, definitely. That That's kind of where you felt like that game was over. North Carolina and St. Peter's, North Carolina is the better basketball team. I think St. Peter's knew they were the better basketball team, that they had met their match, and quite frankly, they were out of gas at that point. And so, I mean, I felt either St. Peter's, I thought they might lose to Providence in the Sweet 16. I for sure didn't think they were getting out of the Elite Eight just because of the road ahead of them. And so, I mean, I guess kind of, quote-unquote, to be expected, if you will, with North Carolina uh, beating St. Peter's to get to the Final Four. Duke, Arkansas, I mean, it didn't really feel like Duke was ever going to necessarily lose that game. It felt like they had a stranglehold on that game for the majority of the 40 minutes. And I think a lot of people were just under the notion that Coach K is not going to go out quite yet in the Elite Eight. At the earliest, maybe the Final Four. But, I mean, I don't see what's stopping this team from winning at all given the motivation that they have going into the semifinal game and then if they are, they're able to take care of business in the semifinal, they do only there are only then at that point one game away from completing a um, relatively picture-perfect season in the eyes of Coach K, especially if it ends with a national championship. And I believe the last time Coach K won a national title was 2015 with Jaleel Okafor, Tyus Jones, Justice Winslow. I think that was the last group. Was Quinn Cook on that team? I think he was. And if it wasn't, that was right after he had left. Now, <laughs> I don't mind being that guy today, by the way. I know. I don't, I don't mind being that guy today. Um, <laughs> But here's what's interesting. I want to break down that Duke 
Arkansas game. Not the game per se, but I want to talk about both teams. Let's talk about Duke for a second, mainly because I didn't expect it. <laughs> I, I didn't expect, and I may have actually Duke in the, in the Final Four, just kind of picking what looked right. I said it before. I wasn't sure if Duke in this final run was going if it was going to be that storybook ending for Coach K. I mean, growing up a Duke fan, I would love to obviously have that be the case, but we know that it doesn't always happen that way. Um, with that said, doesn't Eric Musselman give you that energy like that upset could have happened just because it was him? Yeah. So why again do UNLV not want him? It's a question that I think a lot of people are still trying to find the answer to. And I've said this before. I like Kevin Kruger. I think Kevin Kruger is the guy for it now. I thought when he actually when he hired him, with all due respect to TJ Otzelberger, I was a little shocked that Eric Musselman wasn't in the in, in the seat aside from TJ Otzelberger. It's not the TJ, he's a sweet sixteen team now, right? Eric Musselman's an Elite Eight, so um I don't <laughs> I'm sorry, was that a that, – TJ caught a stray there, didn't he? Why are we those guys today? Hey, man, I mean, sometimes you're a fly on the wall and sometimes you just get swatted <laughs> or slapped, you know. You got any opinions about these Final Four <laughs> matchups? I, 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 I did tell somebody today, I was at Target today, and I told uh, Miss Deborah, I believe that was her name, Miss Deborah. I told her, uh, she was talking to me about North Carolina and Duke in – I said, you know what? I think she was talking about Duke kind of going all the way. And I said, you know what? I said, it makes sense why it would happen now. I also told her, I said, I, I don't I don't think I've been watching sports longer than you. You got me. But in my time watching sports, I've seen the storybook endings crash. And I told my dad this one thing. And... I went through a, a moment where people people may laugh and take me and not take me serious in this, but I mean this. We watched the 72 and 10 Bulls record get broken. We watch, we're going to watch Kareem Abdul Jabbar's record get broken. We watched Ray Allen's record fall, which we watched Ray Allen or Reggie Miller take that record first. So we've watched that record get broken a handful of times. We watched Russell Westbrook break the triple double record. What else have we seen? We watched the Patriots go 19 and 1. And a lot of people laugh at this last one. We watched The Undertaker lose at WrestleMania. Now, everybody may laugh, but it really did show me in sports that storybook ending very rarely happens. It very rarely happens. I said, so in me telling you that, I said it would almost just be sports irony for North Carolina to end Coach K's year, or career, rather. I don't know if it happened, but with the way that this rivalry has gone for decades, it's bigger than Coach K. And I think that's what's so interesting about it. There's going to be a storyline either way, right? But I don't know, man. With the way that I've seen sports kind of play out, 
I don't know, man. I don't know that North Carolina isn't going into this game with a little added juice, but at the same time, that means Duke is doing it as well. Sidebar, too, because we talked about uh, the, the Knights kind of getting into the postseason and if they were to get in as a wild card. Is this the season of – is this the season of lower-seeded playoff teams making runs? Nobody told Kansas that. Or Villanova. You're right. Dad, sorry about that, by the way, um, about saying that I felt like we would get like a six in the in the national championship or maybe like a four seed, just a random seed. We got two twos, a one, and a five, so I apologize. That's my fault for that one. Isn't North Carolina? Or North Carolina three, I'm sorry. They're an eight, aren't they? North Carolina? Yeah, I thought they were an eight Oh, they were an eight seed. Oh, no, I was right. Okay, so I was right. My bad, Dad. I apologize. They're an eight seed. This print is so small. I don't know why. They're like a five and then a three. But anyway... Let's let's go over to the women's side, or before we go to the women's side, let's talk about this Villanova Kansas game. Um, I believe Adam Hill said that he cannot. He tweeted this. He cannot remember a an NCAA March Madness or an NCAA tournament March Madness where everybody's brackets were pretty much busted by the Sweet Sixteen, but the Final Four produced all blue blood schools. Can't say that he's wrong. No. For all of this moving and shaking, to get Villanova, Kansas, Duke, and North Carolina feels like a little bit of a letdown. <laughs> Just a little bit. But nevertheless, Villanova and Kansas, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I wanted to pick Kansas earlier this year. Uh, just because of the way that they looked, O'Shea is it O'Shea Obaji? Uh, Obaji, I apologize if I'm if I'm mispronouncing that, but um, definitely struck you as the best player in the country in moments. Keep in mind, I'm saying in moments, but something about Villanova, man. I, I think Jay Wright is a leader of men, <laughs> truthfully speaking. I think it's Kansas. I'm mad at you. I think Bill Self's been here before. Ironically enough, the last time Bill Self was in the Final Four, his season was ended by Villanova and Jay Wright. I think both these semifinal games have a pretty interesting theme in common with each other. Duke is going to be seeing mad red on in the, semi, in the semifinal game because it got to the point the last time these two teams played each other, North Carolina and Duke, Coach K literally grabbed the mic and started apologizing to the fans Facts. in Cameron Indoor. Facts. And told them to stop cheering. Yeah, told them, <laughs> shut up. No, I'm sorry. Like I, I, I'm embarrassed that we put that product on the court after paying thousands of dollars, however many – you know, however much fans paid to go see Coach K's last game mm -hmm. in Cameron Indoor. I don't know if that moment didn't set off a completely different spark in that Duke program to where it just made them even more laser-focused for the remainder of the year. And not to say that North Carolina isn't focused as well, but I think Coach K is going to point back to that moment prepping for this game and going, remember the last time these boys played us? In our gym, granted this is a neutral site, but you want to end the season now, or do you want to keep playing until Monday? And so, I agree. I think when you look at the motivation factor, Duke has way more to play for right now than North Carolina. And when you look at Villanova, Kansas, mm -hmm. what's the narrative on Bill Self right now, as a whole? Aside from me, well. I don't want to say it. What do you think the narrative, or at least your personal narrative of Bill Self? Getting over the hump. He's always a guy that's great in the tournament. Mm -hmm. 
until. And it's always been something that has stopped Kansas and built itself in his tracks. The last, like I said, the last time he was in the Final Four, they got bounced in the semifinal game against Villanova. Yep. The last time they won a national championship was 2008 with, Mir- with Miracle Mario. Mario's one of the nicest guys ever if you talk to him, too. Mario's cool. Um, per- I mean, I would be lying to you if I said personally I didn't want Kansas to win because I do. Um, I've got some family ties to Kansas. Talk about um, it. I remember watching as a kid that 2008 game. Uh, that was my first real exposure to Kansas basketball, and okay. so ever since I've kind of followed the team uh, throughout the years. I, I remember the years with Frank Mason and Devontae Graham and the, I mean, at the time, what seemed like an amazing team put together. You've got um, Speed Mikhail Luke, you got Devontae Graham, Frank Thomas Mason. Robinson. Run, yeah, I mean, just – a plethora of players that have come through that program and, um, you know, not not to throw too much shade at Bill Self, but I think the years are starting to become numbered a little bit. Um, nothing that he's going to be fired for, but I think age starts playing into a factor. And, yes, I mean, we've seen guys like Roy Williams and guys like Coach K, like they're coaching well into their, you know, 60s and 70s and for, you know, longevity. But, mm-hmm. I mean. A couple of national titles under that belt, too. You know, I, I think for people to really start taking Bill Self seriously as a, I mean, yes, he's a Hall of Famer already, but more so a legendary coach and start putting his name more so in the conversation of the Roy Williams of the world, the co- the Coach K's of the world. Another national championship would probably be enough to start having those conversations because then you can start pointing to the fact that he's got two national championships. He's been to the Final Four at least three different times. He, and for what it's worth, too, seven years ago, what was the conversation we were having about Jay Wright? Don't answer that question. Whatever it is, it wasn't the conversation we are having then. No. I think the conver- – well, I think I mean, I do think the conversation wasn't necessarily negative about Jay Wright. I think it was more so a conversation of where did Jay Wright come from because nobody really anticipated Villanova being what they were now, I mean, you flash forward six, seven years down the road, everybody's now aware of what Villanova is. They're aware of what Jay Wright is. Mm-hmm. They know that, I mean, outside of Hubert Davis in this scenario, all three of these coaches are tremendous tournament coaches. Mm-hmm. And I think that might have been a point that I had said before the tournament even tipped off. The key to being su- successful in this tournament and making it far is having a coach that has great tournament pedigree. And... Three of the four, and that the only reason I'm not putting Herbert in is because, or is it Hubert, Hubert Davis? Hubert right? Davis, Hubert Davis. Yeah, he, the only reason I'm not putting Hubert Davis in that conversation just yet is it is only his first year. Yep. So it looks pretty good so far. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> hey, if this is what you're getting every year out of Hubert Davis, congrats. You you hit a home run if you're North Carolina. Indeed. But, you know, Coach K, Bill Self, and Jay Wright have all been here before. And so I think that just adds to the entertainment factor that this final four is going to produce i mean i think while tv might not like you know uh, villanova and a team from lawrence kansas playing (laughs) like i get tv probably isn't crazy about that but from a fan's perspective and an entertainment perspective i don't know if you could have scripted a better final four because i think both of these matchups are incredibly close could come down to the last possession in both of these games and it in a venue where 
I think Duke fans are going to travel more so than North Carolina because of that motivation factor. They they realize Coach K could be in the last game, if not two games, of his career. But the Tar Heels are like they're rabid, bro. Like they're they're. I can't th- I can't even think of another word. I don't want to use the word evil, but I want to find a perfect synonym with that because they're sinister. That's the word I'm going to use. They're sinister. I I think that they would drive out in droves to send Coach K out with a loss. I I think so. You're going to get a huge huge turnout turnout regardless. Yeah. But I do think you're going to get Tower Hill fans that are traveling for a metaphorical sports funeral. Does it make sense? That's a really expensive funeral, by the way. Ex- extremely expensive. Like, like, I mean, props to you if you can, if you can, if you're one of those people that can, you know, obviously uh, take care of that and all that. But yeah, um, one team I do think. Tell can, me, tell me how it went. What's that? I said they can tell me how it went because I won't. Be exactly. Doing. Yeah. Um, get on what what whatever they be doing. Anyway, <laughs> um, I do think Kansas draws a lot of people because New Orleans isn't all that far from Lawrence, geographically speaking, you could probably drive it. Let me look that up actually right now because okay. I, I, I'm curious how far of a drive it is. If nothing else, they'll fly out because it's a probably a relatively cheap flight. Yeah, because Nova's in the northeast, but Nova just has to drive south. Or not so- drive south, uh, travel south. So I guess the, I guess the Carolinas probably have it the easiest. I guess Villanova would probably have the toughest the, the toughest distance to kind of and probably the longest distance to travel. Um so from Lawrence to uh New Orleans is just under a 13 hour drive. Okay. Okay. I wonder what it is from the Carolinas cuz both these teams are from is there a common city we can use both of these cities because they're both pretty close to each other. Um, Duke and North Carolina. Durham? Just use use uh, what's it called? You, my dad's gonna laugh at me and say, "Of course you pick, uh, of course you pick Duke." Call it what you want, man. You're not here right now to to go ahead and give your pick. Just under twelve hours from Durham, driving. Okay, okay. just under twelve. And just, just just check Villanova, just to be sure. Just check Nova. But while while we're actually figuring out Villanova's final one, that those games do take place on Saturday. Uh, where we're checking out Villanova's final. Uh, or Villanova as the final team in terms of their distance to New Orleans, which would be the destination of the Final Four. Again, games take place on Saturday. I want to talk about the women's Final Four as well over on the other side, mainly because they're setting up right now. Like, they're literally setting up right now. Do we have the distance? Nova might be the toughest to get to. 17 hours. It's like seven, almost 17 and a half hours. Everybody's on the plane. At this point, everybody's on the plane anyway, trust me. If you're driving that, hey, yeah, props <laughs> off, hat off to you, man, because that, not me, no. Because <laughs> it's, it's a bonding experience, but. If I see anything more than about six, I'm like, um, how about flying? <laughs> There's one, there, there was one, and this is completely <laughs> off topic, but there, there is something that I want to do. I do want to drive c- cross country one time. I, I do want to do. So that's going to happen at some point. I've driven to, not myself, but uh, I've been in two different car trips to Texas before from California. Oof. Let that speak for itself. 
Oof. Um, <laughs> however, let's talk about this women's side of the bracket really quick, or the women's bracket really quick, because we expect the South Carolina to be in the Final Four. We expect the Stanford to be in the Final Four, right? How badly do we want this Final Four matchup between these two? I think it's to be expected at this point. I think it's more so a formality that we see the col- the women's college basketball season determined between South Carolina and Stanford. Um, <laughs> I-, I think it might even build on to um, not so much Lindy LaRock's point, but it might make playing Stanford last year look a little bit better if they get to the that championship game. Especially considering that you played Arizona this year. But yeah. let, let's go ahead and talk about what's happening on the bottom side of this bracket because these two games are being played today. One game is already in, pro- in progress as we speak. Number two, UConn. Number two, Connecticut. Yes, the powerhouse that is Connecticut. They are taking on number one seeded NC State. 16-14 in favor of your Connecticut Huskies. 6 p.m. We got another game between Michigan, number three Michigan, and number one Louisville. I... I if we're going with the theme, Louisville and UConn should win, right? If we're staying with the theme of the men's side of the bracket, and not only that, well, we're talking we're... about blue bloods. <laughs> but more than that, I think I'm going to give more credence to are we that are we those guys? This particular episode might be the theme of the whole episode. Why do I feel like Stanford and South Carolina could be upset? You do realize South Carolina got to the Final Four via a 33-0 point win. I do. Over Creighton. I have, I already told you, I have uh, Stanford and South Carolina in my uh, national championship game. I have South Carolina winning. But this is why I said are we these guys because I just, I have a feeling, bro. I don't know why. I have a feeling. You know what? I blame them. I blame the tournament. The it, the women's March Madness tournament has been better than the men's tournament. At least their final four games have been better than the men's tournament for the last three years. Maybe four. Three or four years. That Jalen Suggs-Gonzaga-UCLA game, that's up there. But aside from that, I could give you about three or four women's games over the last four or five seasons. Maybe that's just why I feel like something is just it, we're in we're in it's we're bound and we're set for something big to happen. And I just don't know if it's going to happen on the men's side. Feels like the women's bracket though also is more predictable than the men's. Until you get to a certain point, I feel like. Like I I don't know if there's a bracket out there that didn't have South Carolina in the final four. But I don't know if you have any team on the men's side that is comparable at any level to this South Carolina team. No, this is easily the most dominating team of the bracket. In on co- all of college basketball. So that's why, when's the last time we had just an outright like college pop? 2017 Kentucky? Where they had the Harrison Twins and Anthony Davis? But even, Whatever year that was. But even, no, AD was in the league then. I don't know what I'm talking about. That was catchy year. Well, but even then, we talked about how dominating they were. Even that fell short. Yes, my point. And we were shocked by that. Did that even did that team even reach the Elite Eight? Or no, they got to the Elite Eight, right? Let's figure it out. I don't know if they got to the final four. 
Um, undefeated Kentucky loses. Because I, I think they lost to Wisconsin, if memory serves me right. And that's the year. That was 2015. That's 2015. Then. Um, that's the same Wisconsin team with uh, Frank Kaminsky and Sam Decker. Yep, 2015. There you go. 20, final four game. Lose to Wisconsin. It was, it was in the final four. Yep. Okay, so, yeah, I think they probably fell short from a lot of people's expectations because I think, you know, that was their first lot of loss of the season, if I remember mm-hmm. right. It was. So people probably saw that, and, I mean, maybe some of the really out-there crazy people said that, oh, Kentucky's going to lose before the national championship game. I think most people had them probably penciled into the national championship game, if not winning at all. I did. And just sure. saying, who in this field's going to actually stop them? I thought we would get a Duke and, and Kentucky national championship. It didn't turn out that way. But that is Coach K's last championship. So if you guys needed us to bring it back full circle. There you go. There it is. Let's talk about the Lindy Presser real quick, and then we'll get out of here once we talk about my dad's tip-in. Um, Lindy had an end-of-the-year pre- or end-of-the-season press conference via Zoom. You want to give your takeaways? Oh, man. Um, I can't say I'm surprised at any of the answers, really. Not in the slightest. Um, I, I do think that it was fitting to see more than just Terrell and I asking Lindy's question. For sure. And that's not necessarily to sit up there and you know toot our own horn or anything like that, but A bit. it kind of is. Um, but... I say all that to say because we were at points of the season where there would be four people after the after the postgame press conference involved with a postgame press conference. And I'm including Lindy in that equation. It'd be me, Terrell, Lindy, and Jared Thompson. Shout out Jared. Get it. Um But that'd be it. There'd be nobody from the RJ. There'd be nobody from anywhere except for Terrell and I. And so and we've mentioned it before on the show. Got to the point where, you know, even, you know, whether she she said it directly or or not, you know, I think even Lindy kind of noticed, too. And, you know, know, whoever else, maybe Jared noticed or whatever the case may be, um, but noticed in a good way where they you got that respect. And so you get to the end of the season, you know, the last few games of the year, uh, the end of the year press conference. um, Maybe maybe Lindy does this subconsciously or not even realizing that she does it, but it feels like she, when Terrell and I are asking questions, she tends to be more open about it. And she, she tends to be a little more loose about it than maybe somebody else. And I I felt like, you know, being a part of this season and going to most, if not all their game home games, at least, and, you know, following them on the road. um, I felt like we had the advantage of pointing out those different points of the season where maybe something had been brought up, a point had been made or um, an area that had been discussed earlier in the year kind of comes back full circle, something like that. I felt like really Charles and I were the only one on the call and maybe even Jared had that ability to kind of bring stuff full circle and revisit some of those areas. And I I think um, as a whole – the fact that this team had some sort of coverage all season, mm-hmm. um, I, I think, is what really has 
given the company as a whole that respect from UNLV basketball and Lindy LaRock for sure. I agree. And I think, <clears throat> pardon, one of those moments that I think you're, you're kind of speaking about, it was during the Mountain West Championships. And the team had just conquered the Mountain West Championship. And uh, Coach had a, a, a trophy sitting in front of her. And somebody from – this was national media. Somebody from national media asked um, how often she talked with the team about winning three games in three days and whether she brought it up at all. And kind of before the question was fully asked, like you just said, she kind of looked at me and she kind of head nodded and was like, yeah. We've talked about that since November. <laughs> like, and I and I specifically remember uh, you and I asking that question after yep. the Thanksgiving Classic, after they played back-to-back games, and this is a weekend where everybody's supposed to be getting fat and had their feet up, right? And you guys are playing back-to-back games on Saturday and Sunday. Lindy's response was exactly what that response was on championship game day. <laughs> this is – the goal is to get here. So I wish somebody would complain about playing two games in November. We're trying to get to playing three in March. Like, I get that I'm paraphrasing, but this is how Lindy is. Lindy is going to be completely honest, and she's going to probably be blunt with it, too. So, uh, Matt and I, we've continued to kind of highlight how much they've kind of welcomed us in and ingratiated us with the program. But um, we felt like Lindy, as much as we've tried to, we've tried to ingratiate Lindy and the group into what we do here at Talk That Talk Media. And I think Lindy uh is a perfect embodiment of talk that talk because any question that you ask she's an open book she'll 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 give it to you um one of the questions that i did ask during the well i didn't really ask i kind of gave her an opportunity to, to speak on it uh we talked about the obvious and whenever you have success at a at a, at a mid-major school these power five schools typically come calling shout out to shaheen holloway um These conversations and whispers are not going to stop. I just want to get that out there right now. But I just want everybody to go back to what she said in this end-of-season press conference because uh, I I highlighted the fact that she mentioned before during um, one of these television interviews that, yes, she hears her name being brought up, but I thought she was pretty clear in this one, but she – she said, I want everybody to understand that I have different ties to Las Vegas than previous coaches that have left. I'm from Las Vegas. I thought that was clear enough, but I not I didn't have a lot of people. I will say that. I didn't have a lot of people hitting me up about it, but I heard a decent amount of rumbling about Lindy and where, whether she would leave, where she would go, the jo- other job openings in the country. I've actually told Matt what I think ultimately will happen. I'll let you guys know over time. You guys know how I am. I'll definitely give you guys the goods over time. Um, but I gave her an opportunity during this press conference to address that. And that's exactly the way I kind of presented the question. I said, we're still going to hear your name brought up. Obviously, it hasn't kind of stopped since the team was eliminated. And Lindy went on to elaborate. She said, first of all, it's, it, it's a good thing because it means that you're winning. They don't call losers. I thought that was a perfect one-liner. They don't call losers. She's right. So in addition to that, I thought it was like Matt said, she got extremely personal with us. And I think that's what I want people moving forward over the next year or two to think about when you think about Lindy LaRock's 
potential uh, taking potentially taking a job elsewhere. Lindy LaRock said that she just got married. She yeah. said that she plans to have a family. She said she'd like to start soon. She said if that's the case, what better place to be than home? Who else is going to help with a situation like that more than her parents? Again, I'm not sure if I would have got that answer had I not had we not been there from the beginning of the season to now, but it gave more credence to what she said during that television interview before getting uh, before uh, heading out to Arizona. She does have different ties to Las Vegas than previous coaches. So I know I'm going to be asked about it over the next two seasons, and I'm just going to continue to use her words. Yeah, uh, I'm glad she said it and not either one of us, uh, because, I mean, to be fair, the mo- probably the last two or three weeks, I've that question has surfaced in conversation as well. People knowing that I, I've covered the team and all that, um, they they ask kind of you know do you think Lindy's gonna stick around? And I and I tell people I said you know what if it was anybody else other than Lindy LaRock, you might be onto something. But I think she's here to stay for a while, at least in the very short term. I mean I don't ex- anticipate any move to be made probably in the next at least three years. Maybe in three years you can ask me again, but at least the next three or four years even, given what Lindy has told us now, that would be the earliest I would start entertaining that idea. And if she does well here at UNLV and she's making Sweet 16, Elite 8, stuff like that, she might not have incentive to leave anywhere else. She might say, you know what, I've got a really good program built up here. We're gaining national respect. We're gaining recruits that are starting to put us in conversations with the South Carolinas of the world, the Stanfords of the world. And we're starting to be in those types of conversations when it comes to recruiting. I don't know if moving anywhere outside of my hometown in the situation is going to be any better or worse than staying right here. And so... I think the fact that Lindy is so involved with the community, I mean, she even mentioned it on Friday before the postgame or postgame, wow, postseason, you know, end of season press conference. She was at her high school that she went to as a student and talking to the students there and describing how, you know, not all that long ago she was in those exact seats. I think that really is all you need to know to show that she cares about this community we we've seen coaches not necessarily on the women's side for say but on the men's side that you can tell they're not that involved with the community um you know they they probably care to an extent but i i think lindy LaRock elevates that level of care to a whole new level um uh, being that you know this is where she's born and raised this is where a lot of her family is located including her parents and We've talked about it before, the post-game autograph sessions. I mean, the the, the inviting, uh, we've seen Don Sullivan do it with volleyball, wink, wink. Maybe there's a reason why these programs have had success. But we've seen these different, uh, you talked about lady uh, the Lady Rebels, but the Lady Rebels and also um, UNLV Volleyball, they invite out middle schools. They invite out, um, what's the, why am I, uh, youth clubs and just youth programs. And like you just said, it, it, it starts kind of at a, 
it starts at, at, at a at a local level, but I think it starts with the youth. And I think that's kind of glaring with this program. Yeah, and I think it's a program that um, I don't know if everybody even yet has it all figured out. I mean, one of the bigger glaring quotes that we caught, on, or at least I caught on Friday, um, it may have even been from a question I asked, but nonetheless it was still a quote that I had heard, mm-hmm. was, yes, we are going to, it sounds like keep a lot of the same players around. However, this will not be the same team. And so at first I I stopped for a second and thought, you kind of are. I mean, you're bringing a lot of the same players back. Right. But when you think about it a little bit deeper, it does kind of make sense to have that approach because if you're the same team, people already have that figured out. They've had an entire season to figure that out with the Lady Rebels. So whether that's going through different pieces of the team, uh, not roster-wise, but more so X's and O's-wise, and maybe tweaking some things here and there or implementing different things or having players play different positions and whatnot, Mm -hmm. keeping the competition on their toes that way I think makes all the sense in the world. And the fact of the matter is that, yes, they are bringing back a lot of those players, I think only elevates this team even further going on down the road to where – we are probably, I say probably because that's kind of the trajectory that this team is on. I don't know if it's going to be uncommon to be talking about the Lady Rebels in a Sweet 16, maybe even an Elite Eight. Again, it is March Madness after all, and all you need is to win some games in a row and get hot at the right time. And, I mean, this is a, the same Lady Rebel team that notched 12 or 13 wins in a row. 12 in the thing. Yeah. Great. And the interesting part is when you talk about this program, um, Jordan McCabe tweeted it. Oh, Ironically boy. enough. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Jordan McCabe, huh? That's what he did tweet it. That's what it came from. I mean, to be fair, that's probably what he had time for, given this time and circumstance. I'm sorry. That that came out wrong. <laughs> that came out. I'm still a little – I'm not going to lie. I'm still a little baffled that nobody, aside from Donovan Williams, was at the Selection Sunday for the Lady Rebels. I mean, hey, maybe – I kind of want to ask Kevin Kruger about it. Maybe traffic was bad? Across campus? <laughs> Fam. All right. I'm, um, just, I'm just trying to point uh, at anything. I'm trying to, trying to Matt find Matt wants anything. me to get in trouble today. I see what's going on. I'm going home. And my dad wants me to get in trouble too, clearly. Um, my dad's tip in is on, is on what everybody is talking about. We talked about it last night. I was cooking when it actually happened. So I saw a tweet and I went about my business. And then my dad called me, so I knew something happened. But... The slap seen and heard around the world when Will Smith went on stage and open hand slapped Chris Rock. I thought at first, like everyone else, it was staged. But after the after, <laughs> I'm sorry. This is I'm gonna laugh, and this I don't know if I should laugh. Let me actually preface this by telling you guys: you are not getting my opinion on this radio show. That's on the podcast. Y'all not getting it here. But my dad says, after at least five or six replays in slow mo, I highly doubt it. He said, everyone, oh, I want to give my opinion so bad. He said, everyone is wondering what will get charged. And of course, I'm not sure what you typed this. You sent it to me this uh, this morning. But obviously, in case you guys are unfamiliar, Chris Rock is not pressing charges. I, I didn't think he would. Like, there was like 20%, 15% chance that I thought he truthfully would. But my dad said, uh, my dad said, Chris Rock probably won't press charges. And I can't wait, wait to hear his take on it. Will the Academy take back Will's Oscar? I doubt it. There have been nominations taken back in the history of the Academy Awards, but never actually an Oscar after it was been given after it's been given out. 
But like we were talking about last night, was there an underlying friction between the two? Who knows? My thing is that if you watch that replay, Will laughed at the joke first, but Jada was visibly upset. Now, as a husband, I get it. I would publicly at least have to punch somebody for disrespecting my wife. I get that. But we all know if you have ever been to a comedy show, everyone in the audience is fair game. And to be honest, I get the joke. The G.I. Jane joke, the role that was played by Demi Moore, made popular, um, or made popular, he said, uh, by being a female with a shaved head, he said she was a badass Navy elite SEAL. One thing I would add to that one thing, Dad, it wasn't a comedy show. That's the one thing I would add. However, we do know that jokes are told during the monologue, which is why I'm going to give credence to what you said. Was, was there something underlying between the two? From the walk-up or from Will saying whatever he said that was unaudible, even though we heard it anyway, it sounded like he told him before. So, I will say it gives a little credence to what you said in that sense. But in the comedy circuits, that's what they do. I heard one comment from a comedian. What worries her is who... What? Okay, yeah. What worries her... The comedian was a woman. Okay, I thought, it was, I thought we were talking about Jada. I apologize. What worries her is who is going to want to be the next Will Smith and come on stage when someone tells a joke that they don't like. It could be scary. My personal opinion is that Will could have got it Chris later in the show or after to settle this, but decided to do it in front of millions of people. In the long run, I don't see anything coming, anything good coming out of this for Will. Another thing that we talked about last night is the fact that when Chris said it, he said, hey, man, that was a good one after his G.I. Jane joke. He probably had an entanglement joke as a backup. Now, if he had done that, it would have been interesting to see if Will's hand would have been open when he delivered that blow. I will say, nope, getting it on the podcast. Nope, I'm getting out of here. I'm not doing it. You guys aren't getting me. Matt, you got anything else tonight? I'm getting out of here before I get in trouble. Yeah, I might follow that same route because, I, I, yeah, yeah. Until sure. next time. You know, <laughs> you got it. I'm out. Yeah. What just happened to my music? See, even my music's trying to run. <laughs> <laughs> no. Don't do that no more, Dad. Until next time, y'all. Keep on talking. <laughs>